0: Not to pick on our neighbors up north in Canada. However... I read an article on Beaverton.com in Ontario. Much like here in America, the reporting emergency room closures, critical nursing shortages, etc. The premier of Ontario announced a new relief plan patients who enter an emergency room are presented with either the option to wait multiple hours to be seen by a doctor or a nurse or waive all legal rights in order to immediately access medical equipment and diagnose themselves.
1: Well, that's one way to combat the nursing shortage shortage. is just uh, not to use them at all. And everybody's a nurse all of a sudden. Everybody I know on Facebook would be an amazing person to give themselves their own
0: treatment. I think we should put a disclaimer. The Beaverton is an onion-like article for Canada. But the concept is actually one that was plausible for a second. Welcome to Touchpoint
1: a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number
0: 293. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Uh, Don't mind me reading it. I'm over here self-diagnosing and WebMD seems to think I either have allergies or, you know, I'm going to die of some kind of terminal disease in the next two hours. Everybody already does this anyway, right? I mean, (laughs) that's what Google is, right? (laughs)
1: uh, And everybody that works in a hospital self-diagnoses. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us for another episode, another week of Touchpoint. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.com. Health. Touchpoint.health is your source to learn more about the show, other episodes, dig around, and ultimately, we would hope at least, you'll sign up for the TPS report. You'll notice that at the top navigation of the site, name, email address, and we will send you one email each and every week with a few articles to get things going on a Monday morning. Literally, that's all it's for. Uh, A few quick links in there and things like that, but just a few articles to get your week started. Again, touchpoint.health. I'll wait while you write that down. Uh, No, just pull your device out right now, touchpoint.health, and navigate right over there. So we'll pause for one second and then be back with today's show.
0: And build a reputation that performs for you.
1: This week, I wanted to talk through a couple of different things. And we've got some articles that that kind of support this. But this idea, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, here recently, I, I find myself kind of pondering how much longer will it be this way? And some of this was kind of spurred along by not the article we mentioned in the open, although, kind of. It's actually not too <laughs> far off. From the and some of the things I'm working on around hospital at home and remote patient monitoring and just the expectations of the consumer. And then as I talk to some folks like Dr. Bonnie Clipper that has a show here on the network about the future of nursing and nursing practice, you start asking yourself, well, what, what is sustainable? Like how much longer will things be the way they are? And then, uh, you know, we saw several articles and we'll kind of go through these about really the changing expectations of consumers and kind of how they they live their lives, whether it's how they get their information or how they participate in life now.
0: Yeah, and when we talk about like where the future is headed, it's always good for us to look at younger generations. And in particular, some of the articles we're going to talk about are around how teens are using technology and how, you know, Gen Z is using technology because those are really the predictors, I would say, of where we're headed and what's going to happen. I mean, if you think about like way back when Reed when we first started, I don't know, 15 years ago now in the space We were using technology in ways that are pretty commonplace now and, in fact, are even seeming to be antiquated. And we were considered cutting edge back then. I wouldn't say that you and I were teens back then. I I wish I was a teen back then. But the whole point here is that these are really indicators of how technology and digital will be used for tomorrow.
1: It's... Really fascinating to really kind of think about this through the lens of of Facebook, right? And, you know, spoiler alert here, you know, that's not our future. No. (laughs) Connecting with these younger generations and and individuals. And so let's jump in. We'll, We'll start initially and there'll be a lot of stats and different things we'll call out. This first article, really not even an article, it's research. I really do love this website and this organization, but the Pew Research Center, uh, so pewresearch.org, we'll have a link in the uh, show notes, recently came out with a report, something that they do quite often and update over time. It's actually titled Teens, Social Media, and Technology 2022 so this is kind of a state of the generation maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) of uh, their insights and the landscape of of social media and not just social media but more broadly technology talk
0: about gaming systems and things like
1: that of of really kind of where they spend their time and
0: what they're interested in no big surprise here tiktok Mm -hmm. (laughs) is one of the top online platforms for us teens and also not a big surprise, the aforementioned Facebook, it's not really one. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Only a couple of years ago, a
1: handful of years ago, they even started tracking things like YouTube, right? But what was funny was when I was looking through this, I had to reread it. I was like, wait a minute, what now? Did you know Tumblr is still a thing? Like, did we know that was still a
0: platform? Is it still a platform? I thought it went the way of GeoCities. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> don't have to worry about that because like only 5% of teens are using Tumblr at this point. So don't run out and sign up for a Tumblr account. I mean, you can, I guess, if you really want to, but that kind of caught me off guard. But TikTok is is the winner right now, right? I mean, that's, is you know, that they say has it's established itself as one of the top online platforms for teens, 67%. Say that they use TikTok or if you kind of ever use it. 16%, that's a healthy
0: number, say they use it almost constantly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, for those people I know who are on TikTok, I can understand that. It's kind of like you get sucked into it, apparently. And I can understand that con- that use of using it almost constantly. Now, let's be fair, Reed. TikTok is not the top social media platform. No. YouTube is still the top. They actually say that 95% of teens use YouTube to get content. Isn't that crazy? 95%. You know what's funny, though?
1: I've, I have found myself even like sitting in, in the den or, or whatever on, on my iPad watching things on YouTube. And the TV is off. We did an episode where we talked about kind of the second screen or whatever. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably five years ago at this point Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's just a quick refresher. Uh, That was the idea that, you know, people would have the television on, but have a second screen, phone, iPad or whatever that they're doing, a parallel path. They're, They're looking at stuff, you know, they're on the Internet, social media, whatever. There's not even a second screen now. The first screen went away, and the second screen became the first screen or something, right? And that's that's this YouTube piece.
0: I will have to say I have Roku at home, and one of one of my apps is YouTube, and I use it. I actually watch YouTube on my TV. Talk about like that just comes full circle now, right? So I can actually access the YouTube app from Roku and watch it on my TV. It's crazy. Let's talk about another thing here, Reed. Let's talk about Facebook. We talk about how Facebook has performed or is not performing. The what's interesting here is Facebook as they called it plummeted from 71% in 2014 to 2015 to only 32% of teens using Facebook today. And assumptively it's to post, you know, content so that their mothers and dads and grandparents can know what they're doing.
1: So, yeah, I mean, so Facebook has plummeted quite a bit, you know, uh, YouTube has, has for some time, I think been, been, been up there, but, you know, followed by Facebook. But now we've seen it fall below the aforementioned TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat. It's the younger man's game, as they say, Chris. (laughs) Here's what's funny, though, and I'm just going to call this out for uh, your friend and mine, Jason uh, Pratt. They do say since beginning tracking this in 2014 and 15, uh, they've had a couple that have fallen off the list. Uh, because they don't exist anymore. Vine and uh, Jason's favorite, Google Plus, they're no longer on the list. Uh, but Tumblr still hanging on anyway. Just can't can't get past that. That is just insane.
0: There's some of those other ones too, right? Twitter, Twitch, WhatsApp, Reddit. They're all there too. But yeah, Tumblr surprised me.
1: Well, you talk about, you know, how far Facebook has fallen, right? And so you, you go to the top of the list, like we talked about, 95% have used or ever used YouTube, whereas 32% of these teens, Facebook, to your point, and then 19%, so almost a quarter of the teen population surveyed, use YouTube constantly, they say. Constantly. Whereas Facebook, it's 2%. Snapchat 15, TikTok 16. So you can kind of see these quick hits of information. Facebook is just not what anybody's interested in. Like that's not the
0: way they want to consume information or interact. This research goes into and talks a lot about like different ethnicities too that use it. We won't go into all of the details here, but one major stat though they say is that overall Hispanic populations and black teens are more likely than white teens to say that they use at least one of the top five online platforms almost constantly. That's just fascinating to think about, right? That these social channels are attracting non-white audiences at a much greater rate than they are white audiences. So when you're doing your persona mapping, I think it's really interesting for you to kind of take that in mind. Those are where your audiences are at.
1: 54% say uh, it would be hard to give up social media.
0: Hard to give up. Well, I mean, I would say so if you're on
1: it all the time, (laughs) like like almost constantly. What's funny, you know, back to our self-diagnosing story, 36% say that they're on
0: it too much. Okay, get this a breakdown here too. Teen girls are more likely than teen boys to say it would be difficult to give up social media. 58% versus 49%. Conversely, a quarter of the teen boys say giving up social media would be very easy it's interesting to see these numbers, and um, you know they even go even further, right? To say older teens say uh, it would be difficult to give up. About six in ten teens aged five through seventeen, that is fifty-eight percent of them, say giving up social media would be at least somewhat difficult to do. Whereas people that are between thirteen and fourteen, it's only forty-eight percent say that it would be difficult.
1: All right. So jumping ahead a little bit, social media, how do you get social media? Well, probably on your phone for the most part, especially as a teen. They also in this in this report, again, we'll link to it. Lots of great charts and graphs if you're building presentations for, you know, internal education with staff and things like that. These these are great things to kind of pull from. Anyway, they talk in here about smartphones, desktop, laptop, computers, gaming consoles, uh, you know, that kind of thing. 95%, 95% now have a smartphone up from 73%. It's up 22 percentage points since they started tracking this just a handful of years ago.
0: I remember way back when we first started doing this read and and the iPhone came out, we were talking about smartphones as being sort of like this technology that no one could have access to or only affluent people can have access to. Now everybody has access to them. And no surprise, I mean, we see that happening in the marketplace, right? The cost to get a smartphone is real cheap. I think that's because the wireless carriers, charge you a lot for your data and for your the services that you use but still they're giving away the phones to get you onto their plans is basically the thing so now everybody has a smartphone
1: everybody's got one and it's the way we communicate it's the way you get a hold of people you know whether it's your own kids or family members or friends or, or whatever but if you look at desktop laptop computers gaming consoles Again, these are thirteen to seventeen year olds. You know, some twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen time frame to now. That part of the equation is is gone. Is is relatively flat. Like there's no real change. It's around ninety percent on the desktop, laptop uh, question. About eighty percent of those uh, folks surveyed have gaming consoles. So again, the big jump has been in this handheld device, the the smartphone.
0: Okay, we level set now on. How younger generations are using technology. When we come back from the break, let's talk about the fact that they're using it a little bit differently and how that's actually influencing the way organizations are starting to spend their digital advertising dollars. Do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So before the break, we were talking about teen usage of digital technology, TikTok, Tumblr, (laughs) and others. (laughs) So now we know they're using technology, they're using smartphones and all that. But they're also using it a lot differently than we think they would. And so, what we're going to do now is reference another article that we found on Business Insider that is titled Nearly Half of Gen Z is Using TikTok and Instagram to Search Instead of Google. Oh boy. According to Google's own data.
1: A big call out here. Nearly 40% of Gen Z prefers using TikTok and Instagram for search. Okay, for search over Google, they actually prefer using TikTok and Instagram to actually find what it is that they're they're trying to find out about like that's that's where they go first right like i would say you and i if it was like hey who's saying such and such or who where is this or who did that i you know you immediately just kind of flip up in a web browser you type the question in but the way i'm reading this at least I, you know people according to google's own
0: information are going to these social channels first over google search and google maps Now, I have seen this myself. I have actually done this myself, Reed, where I see like something on Instagram from a local business and I'm like, oh, oh, that looks like some interesting chocolate or that's that's an interesting menu that they have there. Let me find out where their restaurant is. And what I don't I don't do is I don't go to Google. I actually click on their business profile in the Instagram account and it actually opens up that map. So I know actually where it is now. So I've even seen myself start to shift my own search patterns. Google is worried about this. And Google sees this as a big threat. In fact, they're starting to change features in search and maps to try to attract this younger audience. A Google executive actually has confirmed that TikTok's format is changing the way young people are conducting internet searches. And they are actively working to keep up. They're saying, this is a quote. We face robust competition from an array of sources, including general and specialized search engines, as well as dedicated apps.
1: The dedicated app thing is interesting. I'm wondering, though, if Google search results will start moving to more of a a meme or GIF style. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. Can you
1: imagine? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything's a challenge. Uh, You know, everybody's doing the same. Anyway, so this is interesting to me. I I just, hmm, like, I get it in the idea of, like, consuming content, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. everybody loves the Instagram videos, you know, the comedian that does the characters or whatever, right? Like, you you like seeing those and they're 16 seconds long. The idea that we're going to now use this in lieu of maps, just I can't quite get there on that one.
0: I think everything is starting to kind of connect towards you see content, you want to connect to that content creator and refer back to a few episodes ago when we were talking about the, the algorithms of social media are kind of killing the way social media is. This is sort of one of those factors that are kind of leading into it. Reed. In fact, it's such a threat. TikTok that is and Instagram it's also threatening YouTube. Where we're really noticing where the pain is at, Reed, is around advertising. And isn't that old adage, right? It's like follow the money. Where the money is going, that's where the technology shifts are going. So let's talk about the other article that we found about this.
1: This one is actually from TechCrunch. It says TikTok to overtake Facebook and influencer marketing spend this year. And then subsequently, YouTube here in just a just a couple of years or 18 months I guess 2024. So Instagram is on track to capture nearly three times the amount of influencer marketing spend compared to TikTok in 2022. So 2.23 billion, that's with a B, spent on Instagram compared to 774 basically 775 million on TikTok.
0: I mean, that's a lot of money think about that now, so of course now they're what they're doing is they're talking about influencer marketing dollars right but that's an insane amount of money for influencer marketing dollars particularly when a couple episodes ago we were talking about is the influencer dead but let's go further here with this article they're also on track by the way to overtake Facebook or meta can we say YouTube is currently seeing 948 million dollars in influencer marketing spent on this platform 948 million. In the U.S. alone, which is ahead of Facebook at 739 million, but TikTok has already overtaken YouTube based on marketer usage for influencer-based marketing. This is a report that the Insider kind of brought, brings forward,
1: and they call out in here. And I have I've heard this or I've read this somewhere else. It seems like supposedly or apparently I don't know. However, you want to word it, uh, Instagram. Uh, has been adjusting its algorithm a little bit to uh, really bring you more uh, content from uh, creators, right? So you're know, recommending those types of posts and advertising, et cetera. Even though folks using the platform really just want to see stuff from their friends, you know, photos and videos and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting, right? I mean, this is just kind of where we're headed now.
0: Yeah. And we talked about like a couple episodes ago about how like Instagram made a change and then um, Kylie Jenner came out and we, you know, kind of they reversed those changes. They're still making these changes though. Instagram's feed adjustments are going to allow smaller, what they call micro or nano influencers to take a larger slice of the pie. I think you and I have talked about nano influencers many, many years ago, right? Remember mm, that? Yes. Nano influencers are defined as people with 1,000 to just under 5,000 followers, while micro influencers are between 5,000 and 20,000 followers. These influencers are already benefiting on TikTok, which is part of the reason why TikTok is starting to gain so much momentum because these micro and nano influencers went there because they were already seeing a larger sh- share of the revenue stream.
1: I wonder if I could get all my Twitter followers to move over to another platform. <laughs> So I could be a a micro influencer on another on another platform. Um, I guess I'm a nano influencer on, or maybe a micro influencer on uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> not so much on TikTok or Snapchat. Or uh, uh, are
0: you on Be Real, Chris? Oh my gosh, um, no, I am not. Is this? Do I need to be on Be Real?
1: Oh man, let me tell you. It is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I am on, I'm on Be Real now, if anybody listening would like to uh, friend me. Do you know about this platform? Have we talked about this? It prompts you once a day. You can only post one time a day. And it prompts you, and you have like a timer, and it's like a limited amount of time, and you have to take a picture. And it like kind of heads off this idea of like staging photos and all this kind of stuff, because it takes... A picture out of both cameras like forward and backward so you get the picture of the person while they're taking the picture of whatever they're taking a picture of crazy so i don't know i don't know i don't know how this works for influencers but anyway i feel like this is just a a, a bad way to end up with stuff in a picture that you didn't mean to have in a picture, but anyway, whatever. Uh, influencer marketing, I, I think, is interesting. I, that's not something I know, Chris. I can remember when I started thinking through this. The first, you know, what the first thing that came to mind for me was I think healthcare or hospitals. The influencer marketing stuff uh, is the stuff you guys did with it uh, in a Nova. Daryl Green, With Daryl Green, yeah, from uh, the Washington football team. Um, anyway, stop. <laughs> <fun. laughs> But that's not something we've historically done in the context of like social. We've done it like like for like that, like in a campaign, maybe mm-hmm. here in Nashville, we have a hospital kind of out in the suburbs and there's a big billboard with like Luke Bryan on it. You know, we support a local hospital kind of thing, but we haven't done it in the sense of social or influencer in, in the way they're talking about it here.
0: In a sense, like on some of these, we we've heard a lot over the last couple of years about how individual physicians have been going onto these platforms, TikTok and and Instagram, and creating you know authoritative content. I guess not influencer based content, but content about health and about their uh, uh, you know about their medical areas of expertise. Right, pediatricians talking about tips on ways to you know raise your kids better. Or in during the pandemic, the Mayo Clinic immunologists went on some of these channels to. create good content about uh, what viruses are and try to help to explain that we see that happening kind of more organically and less of an influencer paid approach but i think there is something there but here read let's put a big caveat in here because tiktok while it's so huge and growing and there's a lot of money flowing into it just like facebook and other platforms they have some problems they're often accused of inflating view counts you know, having lower limits for what qualifies as a view for marketing purposes. There's some detail here, right? They say to count a view as soon as a video plays and counts rewatches as views. The data isn't quite there in order for us to, to really see if that's an effective ROI to that channel. But as they clearly say, it doesn't really rely on view metrics. The forecast instead looks at spending on influencer partnerships by brand payments made to influencers is how they're counting this and they're excluding non-cash payments like free products or travels they're talking this is actual money being spent on these tools
1: unbelievable i said it a couple of weeks ago but like if we just aren't on social media does it matter not me and you specifically but yeah i mean if your local
0: hospital is not on tiktok what does that mean anything Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but why don't we do this, Reid? We'll take a quick pause here. And why don't we come back and we talk about how five large health systems across the country are using various different ways to reach this very audience that we're talking about. And maybe we can learn a little bit from the way they're doing it to see if there is worth in spending time on these platforms. We'll do that right after this pause. This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Okay, uh, welcome back. And uh, I'm going to double down here. So, do we really need to be here on these platforms? It's kind of like we're all on Facebook because we, it's similar to like we all have email, right? It's just kind of like people have resigned to that or they don't think much about it or whatever. But I don't know if we're going down this road of like really focusing in on influencer marketing and these types of things. I, I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't know.
0: I think it's important that we at least understand where people are at, because as we talked about at the beginning of the show, read where they're at today is probably where we're going to put our efforts tomorrow. So let's end today's uh, podcast with an article that we found. Our good friends at Becker's Hospital Review, they wrote an article called Five Hospital Marketers Talk About How They Reach Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers. Let's get into it let first one is Jagar Shah, who's the chief marketing officer at Providence. He uh, indicates that healthcare is very professional and the key to successful marketing is relationship-based approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That means using messaging to build and retain trust, meeting them where they are in their journey and giving them relevant, actionable information. Okay. That's something we've talked about before, but part of doing that for Providence is age segmentation. Demographic and psychographic data, predictive analytics, and other inputs from the customer to help them to understand where the consumer is and, and helps to guide them in their journey. And so some of those strategies that they do for channels are intuitive, but they're really using usage of social channels and other digital channels to really understand and target per specific channel. For example, they're looking at baby boomers using social media they have higher social engagement than teens and others so they they're sharing different types of content on those channels for those audiences what really what they're doing is they're kind of crosswalking demographic psychographic information with channel information to create the right type of content you may even see different types of content edited and cut different ways to reach different audiences that may be in the same channels it's an interesting approach it is.
1: It is. Uh, you know, kind of building on that, or or analogous to it a little bit. Uh, Christine a Priester, the vice president of branded advocate Aurora Health, a lot of what she talks about is, is personalization. So you think about the persona and, and journey mapping, and you know those types of activities. I'm sure have led them down some of these paths. But she talks in here about the digital tools that they're using, like their app or maybe email, social media, et cetera, to offer different types of consumers, different types of content or resources or whatever it may be. So they're getting those communications that are specific to them, right? So she talks in here a lot about that people are different generations or different stages of their life. And uh, they try to adjust their marketing accordingly. So specific to Gen Z, very different, she says, than baby boomer, boomers, obviously, because they're in different life stage. And so it allows them to kind of deviate a little bit and not uh, kind of have that shotgun approach. So they may run a broader campaign to to raise brand awareness. But ultimately, as they kind of get into the weeds, it it allows them to kind of segment that content specific to those audiences.
0: Yeah, I I think Brian Defoff, the chief marketing officer at LifeBridge, which is the third health executive here that kind of weighs in on this article, he actually outlined a very specific um, way to kind of characterize generational marketing here. The shift from patient to healthcare consumer is really where he sees that big change occurring. Patients are those people who have been seen and they understand what their treatments are and they they can understand, they could target that a little bit more specifically, whereas consumers, and that a lot of that is the younger generation, they gather information and they make their own self-directed cho- decisions. So they kind of target their content a little bit differently based on also their comfort level of information not just healthcare information, they, they're getting into, much like other organizations like Cleveland Clinic and others, talking about health and wellness and other things that kind of reflect where they're at in that period of time and that cycle of time in their life. Again, taking into account which channels are best to reach these audiences.
1: Very similarly, Carrie mickle she's the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer uh, at Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. She's got an interesting quote here, uh, "We don't change strategy to reach an audience, but strategy may dictate the audience that they need. So again, they're letting strategy ultimately kind of drive the tactics probably, you know kind of where they're where they're going. They're If they're looking for first time moms for pediatric care, they're going to target us you know more gen Z early millennials that they're looking for, if they're running a fundraising campaign, for example, Gen Z and the younger boomers that are more in their peak earning years. And so once they know who they need to find, then they figure out how to then make that connection. So it changes drastically, I'm sure, across all of those uh, different generations. But she talks in here about Gen Z being very comfortable in the digital space. And they're probably more apt for things like telemedicine and online scheduling, bill pay, et cetera. You're a pretty safe bet that these types of mediums or technologies would work. Just you know, hear about the fact that they appreciate shorter copy, more visuals, video content. And so that may vary, again, on a fundraising campaign where the, maybe the copy is a little
0: bit longer. You know, the media is a little bit different, things like that. Lastly, the article kind of addresses John Engelhardt, a senior vice president, chief communications marketing officer at HSS, a hospital for special surgery in New York. They find that their brand promise transcends all generations. So what they do is take their brand promise and try to figure out which through the media behavior, which is a little bit different. They try to cascade that same brand promise through all of the ways they're reaching out through the different media channels and also generational differences. So they, they kind of tailor a chemistry, as he calls it, of rational support, including their authoritative content, searchable patient submitted stories and a tool that helps consumers compare reliability between providers, sort of a matching tool. None of these I heard, though, have given up on SEO and just doubled down on TikTok as a search engine.
1: (laughs) We're probably still maybe a hair uh, away from (laughs) that, much like self-diagnosing and having a self-service ER. But like in both cases, I don't know that we won't get there. It's interesting. Uh, You know, we all thought, MySpace was the thing and not going away. And then I I know for the longest time, I thought, well, yeah, but Facebook's kind of made it over the hump. Like, I don't know that this ever goes away. And here we are you know, it's dropped way down in the minds of that kind of next generation. So it just goes to show that like, you know, things are going to evolve from generation to generation, the expectations, how they engage with us and interact, things like
0: that. Much like SEO, search engine optimization, I think you and I probably should start a program around TTO, TikTok optimization.
1: I like it. Yep. Yep. Um, Or Snapchat optimization even. Be
0: good. Sno or even Tumblr optimization, apparently.
1: (laughs) Small 5% of uh, uh, whatever generation still uses uh, Tumblr, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, we'd love to hear what you all are doing uh, that are listening in. Let us know, how are you using these channels? Send us information on LinkedIn or on Twitter, because those are the channels that we're on. Don't send us anything on TikTok. Although maybe send something to you on Be Real. I don't know. Let us know how you're trying to target these different audiences. We'd love to hear more. But with that, Reid, why don't we take one last pause and then we'll come back to close out the show.
1: Fun episode. It's always uh, fun to just kind of go through some of these articles and chat through it, give some thoughts, perspective, that kind of thing. So I would love to, to know kind of what you're thinking. We've done a few of these kind of in this format in a row now. Uh, I would love to know kind of what you think, if you like it, uh, what other topics we should cover, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. I am not going to be at ShishMed here in a few weeks, but uh, would love to know who's going,
0: uh, what you hope to get out of it, that kind of thing. I will be there, Reed. So if you're going to be at ShishMed, let me know. Come find me. Uh, I'll, I'll have a microphone with me. I'd love to have capture your thoughts.
1: Awesome, awesome. All right, let's, uh, let's maybe do a couple of recommendations and we'll wrap up
0: the show. What do you got today? Reid, I'm going to recommend something that's a Google product. (laughs) Apparently TikTok is is carving into uh, Google's product sets. I'm a person that likes to keep up on what's happening in the news, etc. Obviously, I listen to podcasts and I scroll through Twitter and you know whatever. But I'm, I'm telling you what's very, very reliable year in and year out since it was first introduced and just getting better, Google News. I love Google News as a place where I can go. They've done some recent enhancements that are really, really great. Obviously, they run the top stories what people are searching for. In addition, they, they have built a lot of different, like, I guess they would call them cards around different things that you might like. So, of course, local news. They know I live in Minneapolis, so they, they do an aggregate of the top stories around local news. And that's kind of at the top. Also, based on some of the news articles that I search for... They uh, actually do picks for you. I guess they're using their machine learning and AI to actually get there. That's my recommendation this week. I'm going to recommend Google News.
1: There you go. That's good. Always looking for uh, good stories and things like that, so go check that out. I'm going to recommend a documentary. You can find it over on Netflix. Uh, There's a series of documentaries, if you will called Untold. And, and there's different ones, right? And so this is the newest. It's the sixth installment in the nine-part documentary series, I guess. Although there are two episodes as part of this sixth installment, if you can kind of follow that math. But it's called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. This is about Manti Tao, who uh, played football at Notre Dame, was an All-American, was up for the Heisman Trophy, he was a really, really big deal with the national championship game, et cetera, And it came out his grandmother and his girlfriend both passed away on the same day. Mm. Grandmother, uh, I, I think, was, was elderly. But the, the, the girlfriend died of, like, leukemia or something like that. So it's this big inspirational story. I remember when it happened. I think it was 2012, 2013. And uh, it was a big deal. I mean, it was, like, you know, all over the news. And he was interviewed all the time. It was this big inspirational story. He was just such a good guy, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, it comes out right before the national championship game that the girlfriend didn't exist. That was all a hoax and that's where the story The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist comes from so I won't spoil it it's it's probably not exactly what you think and those that remember when this happened probably, you know know parts and pieces of it I obviously knew it pretty well because I, I follow sports and college football especially but uh, I Actually, it was really interesting because he's in it. He's interviewed. Anyway, I, again, well, I won't spoil the whole thing, but it's worth watching. It's really fascinating kind of what all happened there. And so anyway, so yeah, so it's a two two part series, if you will. They're each eh, an hour or so. So it's a couple hours uh, worth of watching untold to the girlfriend who didn't exist.
0: It's on my queue and you'd kind of tease it up. You said it's not exactly what you think it is. So I'm excited to watch it and figure out what it actually is. So good Mm -hmm. recommendation.
1: Mm -hmm. Boy, it was everywhere. It was a big cultural thing at the time. So Yeah, it was. All right. Well, uh, another good episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, If you would go tell a friend, share, talk up the podcast. We'd certainly appreciate it. Reach out to us. Like Chris mentioned, LinkedIn, Twitter is probably the best way to do that. Love to know uh, if there's things that we should cover in subsequent episodes and uh, and how we're doing. So uh, reach out. Well, there it is for another week. It's Chris Boyer on that side of the microphone. This is Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.